the business savvy singer. Hey there, and welcome to the Business Savvy Singer podcast. I'm Dr. Greta Pope, and I'm so glad that you're here. This podcast is dedicated to vocalists and to those who love them. We interview singers who are working professionally to get a glimpse into their lives and celebrate their personal journey to success. Join us weekly to learn how to move your career forward. Get tips and recommendations to help you realize the career of your dreams. You're listening to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast, brought to you by the privatemusicstudio.net, providing online education to build sustainable careers in music. Also, Eternal Wolf Music, producing audio for every need, and Greta Pope Entertainment, for the finest in entertainment. Hey there, and welcome to the third season of the Business Savvy Singer podcast. We're so glad that you're here. This season of the podcast features weekly interviews with professional singers of all genres and backgrounds, in addition to featuring experts who provide support services for singers. Join us each week for great information to move your career forward. Keep in touch with us via social media. We want to hear from you. Hey there, and welcome to the Business Savvy Singer podcast. I am so excited today to welcome a gentleman who is not a singer, but he is part of our Black History Month series, uh, and he is a performer, and he's going to tell me all about what he does. The gentleman is Rory Rennick. He is a magician, an actor, an author, a scholar. He does research on African-American magicians going back through the years, which I find to just be a fascinating topic. Rory, how are you? Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm just so excited that you're that you're so much here. for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited that you're here. So now I want to get a little bit of information about how you started in magic. Did you start off as a child or how how did that come about? I guess it was pretty typical of uh, most children who gain an interest in magic, a magic kit in a cereal box. Wow. Um destroyed it didn't know exactly what i was doing it didn't have a mentor or um someone who could show me the ropes so yeah. to speak mm-hmm. uh, and there certainly there was no one in my neighborhood that would teach magic i never saw a black magician mm-hmm. i mean however we did see things disappearing in our neighborhood <laughs> cars baby daddies <laughs> we just didn't call it magic as such I love you know, it. Nobody came and pressed to digitize Larry's car, you know, <laughs> and stole that sucker. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, so you started kind of, you, you were self-taught. You were just curious about it. So how did you get to the point of thinking, I'm going to make this be my livelihood? Well, after school, um, I got disinterested, of course, um, for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, performing magic, performance magic, was sort of taboo 
in the black community. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the in the hood, as some people would, would um, express it. Um, it didn't fit spiritually because we thought that it had um, overtones that was in favor yeah. of uh, the Satan or the dark yeah. side. Mm-hmm. Socially, it was considered a quote unquote white thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went away to college, it didn't fit with my psychological profile of a of a of a um, of a career mm-hmm. because it wasn't real enough as I was a a social science major. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, when I got out of college, I went to a show by uh, with a magician. Oh, I viewed a, a show by Harry Blackstone Jr. Mm-hmm. It was at the place, the famed RKO Palace in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, and that really set me back on a on a on the path of wow. This took me back to my childhood. It gave gave me that feeling of uh, of awe and wow. and wonder. And at that point, my my worldview had had changed, mm-hmm. and so performing magic wasn't so much against my my spiritual views because. To me, magic was just a metaphor, mm-hmm. a reminder that more things are possible than not. Wow. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I, I found that there were black magicians in the past mm-hmm. that, that kind of knocked that other pillar of, of doubt, which I thought was a white thing, mm-hmm. is when I found and discovered black magicians in the past. Wow. But then I started watching... Um, in 1996, David Blaine, mm-hmm. he started showing people close-up magic. Yeah. And that kind of grabbed my attention. And I started doing... Yeah, that's like the sleight of hand magic. Shows. Yeah. Wow. Yes, yes. And, and, and then at that point, I decided after doing some part-time shows, why not give it a, a, a shot full-time? What, 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 you know what could what could happen, and it <laughs> took me about it lasted about twenty years. <laughs> wow, wow, that's fantastic! It's fantastic. I've seen some of the uh, shows that you do on YouTube, some of the kinds of things that you do, and I just I find it so fascinating. And I would like to tell our listeners that the the reason that we know each other is that you somehow came across some information about me some years back, I was a magician's assistant. And I don't know how you found this information, but one day I heard from you and you're like, you know, were you a magician's assistant? I was like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. I had almost even forgotten that part of my life. Um, But you do a lot of research on black magicians. And the gentleman that I was working with was the great Damien, a black magician in Ohio years ago. And you actually reconnected me with him, which was kind of cool, you know? And I thought, wow, you know, just, uh, it's something that I hadn't thought about. And I think that many people don't think about the history of blacks in magic. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I was was fascinated to find find you in, in this gentleman's past. And I thought, well, this would be interesting to get a perspective from a magician's assistant who happened to be black as well. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. Because yeah. I, along my research, 
I really had not discovered any um, magicians assistant of color. Yeah, that is. Now there was a great magician Armstrong back in the twenties. Well, he was helped by his family, so mm-hmm. I don't really count that as an outside assistant. Yeah, that is. So, it is. It's just fascinating. You know, there's so much about the history of Black people that we we are just beginning to uncover in many many different fields, and it's it's uh it's very encouraging and. Um, I feel that it it is a wonderful homage to those people who worked hard and were good at what they did and nobody was paying attention. Nobody cared. Oh, I, I feel, I feel your, your, your pain. Um, researching the number of the black magicians, I often wondered and, and lament the, the fact that we will never know how great they could have actually been with encouragement they, mm-hmm. right they didn't have the financial backing right. um, didn't have access to certain audiences yeah um, a number of them they had to perform for for black audiences mm-hmm. whether it was at a church or schools mm-hmm. so they had limited exposure yeah yeah but many of them were very very talented some of the exposure was so well yeah yeah so they couldn't be denied yeah. and, and when i think about um the guy that I researched, Henry Box Brown. Yeah, I love this story. Oh, it was it's 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 amazing, and it's and it's a true story, mm-hmm. a tr- a story that is so inspirational on so many different levels. A man who escaped slavery. It wasn't a magic. It was not a magic trick, um, though there were some elements and principles that he followed mm-hmm. that could be applied to the field of magic, mm-hmm. and also any problem solving. Mm-hmm. He, first of all, he, he had knowledge of his condition. Mm-hmm. He realized that he was a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about Harriet Tubman could have saved so many more had they known that they were slaves. Yeah. Their condition had been so normalized um, that uh, they didn't realize what, what dire straits they were actually in. Yeah. And so after knowing his, uh, his state, he had a desire to be free after his first wife and children were taken from him while he was at work. Okay. And then there was after uh, the, the desire, he had to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And he planned his escape um, after hearing a voice telling him to make a box and to get in it to convey himself as dry wow. goods to a free state. That is just, that is unbelievable. And and I'd like to go back a little bit. I mean, it's such a shocking and horrifying Thing, that this man was married, had a family, went to work one day, and came back home and found that his family had been sold away. Gone. Yes. I mean, that is just yeah. like, what? <laughs> you know, that, that is horrible. It's horrible. Yet he went on and survived and, and did interesting things. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's quite fascinating. So, so once he was so, his family was sold away... Did he ship himself off immediately? I mean, this man devised some kind of box that he put himself into and shipped himself to freedom. Right. He, he had some assistance. He had a, a, a free black man named James Caesar Anthony Smith, who was his fellow choir mate. He was a free black man. And though Henry was, was a slave, they still 
um, had that that bond in the in the church, mm-hmm. which was a whole nother dynamics. And another white man named Samuel Smith, he was a bootmaker, mm-hmm. but he had passions of abolitionists. But so did his friend James, the free black man. Mm-hmm. He he owned a um, a cake a cake shop, but he was also a dentist. Oh. And so Henry Box Brown always referred to him in the original narrative as Doc. Oh, the doctor. Wow. Um, which which is um, not known because there was a children's book called Henry's Freedom Box, mm-hmm. and Henry's Freedom Box was beautifully illustrated by um, a, a man named Kadir Nelson. But the author Ellen Levine, she ascribes the doctor to the white man. Oh, ascribes the title. Okay. Right, and in in her book, the man James. Which is Henry's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the J- James was the friend from church. Yes. Show, which, right? So the it, it, that little twitch, I think that little piece of information not being known, yeah, um, uh, can add more value to 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 the story. Absolutely! Wow, that's, it is fascinating. So I know that you traveled abroad to gather information and do your research. Tell us a little bit about that. How did that come about, and where did you go, and, and what was that like? Well, uh, in true Henry Box Brown fashion, <laughs> Henry Box Brown, after he was free, he was on the anti-slavery lecture circuit. He was invited to every anti-slavery um, convention there was. In fact, he had become so popular that um, Frederick Douglass was a little disappointed because if Henry Box Brown's story wasn't so widely held he believed that there could have been a number of others who could have escaped in the same manner he did Uh. and he was boxed and put on a train onto a boat um back onto a train onto a a cart and it took it was a a journey of 27 hours 350 miles from richmond virginia to philadelphia wow and once he was free like i said he, he Instantly became famous in this iconic figure. I'm sure. <laughs> until the until the fugitive slave law kicked in. Oh, the fugitive yeah. slave law, of course, um, was part of the Compromise of 1850, which allowed uh, uh, California to come in as a free state, but but it also allowed slave owners to previ- uh, to 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 uh, retrieve their slaves, even if the slave the enslaved person. Um, went to a free state, oh. like the state of Ohio. Wow, wow, that is really that's really something. So then, and that, oh yeah, they deputized common common people, and wow. if you didn't um, aid, well, if you aided or abetted someone in the escape, um, you could be fined up to a thousand dollars per offense or six months imprisonment. Wow. So. Um, Joe P. Public, the federal marshals would deputize them and say, uh, hey, we're looking for a certain slave. Do you know where they are? Wow. Well, if this person lied, they could be held liable. Wow. And who wants to pay, you know, $1,000 right. for offense or, or risk jail. six months imprisonment? Yeah. Well, in 1851, after Henry Box Brown was freed, one day he was in Providence, Rhode Island. He was lecturing. 
and five men came out of a wagon and accosted him. Oh my God! He was able to he was able to fight them off. Wow. But when it happened twice within 48 hours, he decided he was going to England. Yeah. So he took his friend uh, James. He took a panorama, which was a um, a like giant scrolling uh, painted canvas scenes on 10 foot wide, maybe about eight feet high, and it scrolled on big, huge rollers. Wow. And uh, there were painted scenes and there was music playing. So it was kind of cutting edge mm-hmm. technology and entertainment. They have a live band, a small orchestra playing as he's narrating or telling his stories. Wow. Well, he took that over to England as well. He began to uh, continue as a lecturer, but then, two years into being there, Henry Box Brown sues a prominent newspaper for libel. Oh my goodness! So, an, uh, an editor of a newspaper was in the audience. Not only, which was fair, if he was to criticize just Henry's. Uh, wow, that's hard to believe that he would sue. Um, uh, personal attacks. Yeah. Right. And then uh, he, he wrote about it, and Henry was able to prove in a court of law that he lost money wow. because of what the man wrote in the newspaper. Wow. This is the first time that it's been done. I corresponded with a, a historian in, in England, and she said this is the first time that a fugitive, a man of color, wow. goes up against the almighty press and, and wins. One. He wins wow. 100 pounds wow powerful very 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 powerful wow it became quite wealthy mm-hmm. um as a as a as a, as a lecture name was singing but mm-hmm. but to compete with the the british um at that time you know, there was there was so much happening right before the industrial revolution so you had lecturers uh everything from pseudoscientists to real scientists Mm-hmm. Making the lecture circuit. Wow. So he decided to add mesmerism oh, to his presentation, okay. which is a forerunner of hypnosis. Okay. It's, imagine that in the 1850s, wow. a black man hypnotizing a white audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Yes, yes. And um, then he took a stint and, and um, learned the art of magic. Wow. First digitation. You know, sleight of hands, and uh, he did comedy magic. Wow! But he also um, mixed in some of the mentalism um, as, as well. Wow. He had a, an act where he would uh, do a phrenology wow. <laughs> demonstration. Phrenology, where they would study the bumps on people's heads oh, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the, to determine what kind of character they they, they were. Wow! Of. So he, he he did a number of things like that, and he stayed there for twenty five years. Five years, about seven years after being there, he got remarried. Okay. He married a woman from Cornwall, mm-hmm. which was in the southern part of, of, of England, mm-hmm. a white woman. They had five children. Um, when he came back to the United States in 1875, two of his children survived. Mm-hmm. The other ones had died before while he was in England. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, Greta I was able to locate some of his descendants. Wow. Yes, it is wild. It's, 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 inside my, it's in my book. Wow. Um, Henry was probably my complexion. The, um, the descendants were, and some of them are still living as white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because of the, and I, and I, and I share in my book how that happened. Mm-hmm. One of the descendants was really confused because they had a public ancestry.com tree. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, there was this confusion because she was looking for someone named. Wow. They were oh, looking for Hazel a particular... White. Yes. Supposed to be looking for a Hazel. Yeah. That was a black woman. Wow. Yes, yeah, so her, 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 her tree was messed up and she wanted to kind of distance herself from mm-hmm. any black. Here, she, she didn't know how famous Henry yep. Fox Brown really was. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the other set of descendants that I found, they were more inviting. They understood and I flew to where they were. I gave them some of my source material wow. um, to fill in their family tree and they shared some things with me as well. Wow. And um, it's, it's, it's been beautiful. Wow, that is just, that is fantastic. You know, I, I just applaud you for knowing of this man and then just taking that ball and running with it and finding out about his family and about his life. And just, it is such a fascinating story. And, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, the fact that you're able to find this one man with an interesting story like this, we know that there were many, many others that we just don't know about. And maybe some future generations will, will find out about them. But I just, I find it so fascinating and so important to share these stories. And I, and I would like to let our listeners know that, you know, you have written this wonderful book on Henry Box Brown. And uh, I actually have purchased a copy and it is absolutely fantastic. We will put information in our show notes where people can avail themselves of the book and uh, get more information because, uh, you know, before talking with you, I knew nothing of this man. I'd never, never heard of him before. It was just, it was just interesting. His, his, his story started to, 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 to grow some more legs and um, people were starting to hear more about him, but no one had delved that deep into his, his life. Yeah. Um, and, and that was one of the reasons why I took the trip as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a chance to, to answer your question. <laughs> um, but at a certain point in my, my research and writing, I wanted to go and kind of walk where he walked. Mm-hmm. And when I went to England to finish up my research, I actually stood in the courtroom where he won that landmark decision. It was chilling just to stand wow. there, uh, just to feel. And, I, and my mind took me... Um, to a place that it was kind of surreal. Wow. To imagine being standing in the, the courtroom um, in 1852. Wow. And it, it had not changed very much. It had been kind of hidden away mm-hmm. and it became, uh, it had become at that point uh, more of a uh, a place like a, a reception, like a reception I hall. I see. Mm-hmm. But it was the old town hall. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it, it was it was amazing. Wow, wow! It is it is so so wonderful. I mean, to just be able to celebrate this man and the life that he lived, and to appreciate it, and for people to know about it. You know, I, I you just done wonderful, wonderful work with this because you know just imagine. I mean, you know, if if we were living in those times and we're doing great things and nobody cared, nobody knew about it, and then generations later. Somebody takes the time and makes the effort to uncover this information and tell the story. You know, it's, it's, um, it's remarkable, truly. 
And we have to think of that, think of it in that, in that respect. Mm-hmm. In the book, the book is entitled Henry Box Brown's Legacy and My Life with Him. Yeah. I, I have a chapter about legacy and what it, I want to give people another alternative, um, way of viewing legacy. Mm-hmm. And some may have heard the expression, legacy is like the seeds of a tree that will grow that you'll never be able to sit under. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need to have these written records yep. and for us to tell our own stories. Yes. And um, there was an, uh, a newspaper in 1829, the first black newspaper, a uh, national newspaper said in its first um, inaugural edition, for too long have others spoken for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not that they're not trying to get the story right, but sometimes they're looking at it from a different angle. That's right. They don't have the same perspective. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, you know, it's time that, that we do our due diligence as you are doing. I mean, you're an expert in the field of magic. And to be able to then go back and research these other people who have also been experts in the field of magic. I think it's wonderful that everybody's bringing their, their personal interest to sharing information from the past. I, I think it is spectacular. Right. There's been a couple of books written by Henry Box Brown, but no, none of them by a black man who's actually right. performed as a magician right. to write that story. And I, I wanted to make it personal, and that's why uh, the subtitle in my life with him mm-hmm. is because how he affected my life. Mm-hmm. I, I, unfortunately, it did get to a point where it was sort of obsessive, <laughs> and my wife, my wife would have testified to that that, that fact. Um, but I wanted to feel what he felt. Yeah. Um, sometimes we get the skewed ideas of what slavery could have was was like. Mm-hmm. Even though in his story, in his personal narrative, he doesn't recall being beat. But the fact that his family was taken from him—that is—that pain was 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 greater than any than than the whip could provide. Absolutely. Uh, to any to any 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 back. Yep. And the way he described it in in the first narrative, um, he had a, a man named Charles Stern to to write it, um, but it still captured the essence of the the, the painful woes of losing one's family Mm -hmm. and how he was powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just so many horrible stories, uh, horrible stories, you know, that we, we can't even fathom what those things would have been like or what those things would have felt like, you know, it's, um, it's really something. It's really something. And I, I think, you know, being able to read, about your interpretation of what his feelings and thoughts might have been from the perspective of a black man living in in this era is is just so powerful. It's powerful. It it, it made me think and look at some things, and I had to admit, uh, Greta, when I I had to get out of hero worship to write an objective yeah. book. Yes, because there were some things. That Henry done that it was questionable, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know some would even call shady. Yeah. But but everyone we're, we're so multi-dimensional. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to bring this this real person instead of some caricature of 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 of, of this iconic abolitionist. Mm-hmm. So it, it took away a while to strip all that back mm-hmm. and ask and ask some some, some real questions. Yes, um, like when he he married the woman in Cornwall in England. His friend James even wrote to some of the abolitionists that Henry was uh, <laughs> he was um, in excess because he had drank some some peppermint and some liqueurs mm-hmm. and had been playing dominoes mm-hmm. and that was made too much for his partner James for his conservative taste oh. <laughs> and so and, and he had also accused Henry of wanting to get. Uh, a wife over there and mm-hmm. said he didn't seriously pursue getting his first wife back. I see. Okay. So, okay. yeah, and, and the book deals with that. So I raised you know, a number of questions mm-hmm. um, concerning that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think that you, you know, you brought some real humanity to him, you know, which is you know, help people to see him as a person flawed, like we all are flawed, you know, but still incredible, still an incredible person. And and the inspiring part is, to me, if he achieved with all of those obstacles as a slave, as a fugitive, Mm -hmm. as a person going into another country Mm -hmm. and thriving, Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's no excuse for me not to. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing story. He clearly was a very smart, very savvy man. And, uh, yes. you know, and, and, you know, I mean, maybe a lot of the things that he did that m- might have been somewhat unsavory, he might have needed to do those things to survive, you know. So, you know, it, it's, I, I, think, I think that you brought some real humanity to him and, and uh, it's wonderful that you've met his 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 um, not ancestors, but his uh, children and their descendants. That's the word. Uh-huh. Yes, it's wonderful that you've had a chance to meet them and help them to appreciate who he was mm-hmm. and what they come from. You know, I mean, that is that's huge. That's huge. That well, Rory, is there anything else that you'd like to share with yeah, us? I thought that. Yeah. Yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to to share with us about him or about your career? Do you have any any great performances coming up? I know that you have a lot of stuff because it's Black History Month, and I've I've seen <laughs> some things on YouTube of the performances that you do in schools and in other uh, kinds of situations to bring the story of Henry Box Brown to the public. Um, do you have a lot of things lined up for this month? I, I try to curtail it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I still, you know, honor the requests that that are that are made. Yeah. Um. Which is which is great because his story is still relevant and Absolutely. people really want to hear it. I've been portraying him on stage for wow, over fifteen years wow. now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always excited to bring bring it to um, to audiences. Who don't get a chance to hear about Black history? Right. So I get invited to some of these small suburb, uh, suburban or even rural mm-hmm. uh, towns and schools mm-hmm. to give them some some real Black history. It's wonderful. Um, which is which is 
great because these young people are the ones who will be shaping the future. That's right. And if, and if we can give them um, some stories of humanity, mm-hmm. hope, and inspiration, you know, who knows what they can do? They can be the ones that help dismantle uh, white supremacy and and all yeah. of this benefactors and beneficiaries. That's right. So I, I'm I'm excited to to continue to do that. That's wonderful. But I, I still do uh, stand up comedy magic shows. Mm-hmm. I I'm still writing. In fact, I'm in the process of writing another book right now. Oh. Yeah, I'm in the in the in the early phases of it. Mm-hmm. Um, with this is a little bit different. This is um, a hobby that I I've had. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably have accumulated um, probably the world's largest collection of African diaspora slash black image playing cards. Cool. Some people some people have probably never seen one deck of cards that had black people on it. Yeah, that is very cool. What an interesting project. Wow. So I've collected some from all over the world. That's great. From the 1800s to present day. Wow. And I and I want to construct a a, um, an exhibition to go along with the book. Wow. So so people were producing cards with black people on them a century ago. Yes. Wow. wow. I, I, they're, they're, they're kind of obscure, and um, one day we'll, we'll, maybe we could chat about that. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I want to get further along in the project because there's a couple of surprise things that I yes. want to keep up my sleeve. Absolutely. As it were, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is fantastic. Well, when you are ready, I would love to to chat with you about that. I would love to have you back and, and talk about that because that, uh, again, is another very fascinating uh, story. You know, we, I, I've been doing some research myself on classical musicians of the African diaspora. And I, I uh, did a presentation on this podcast. And it's, yes. it's just such an interesting topic to find people have been doing these things for centuries, but they've never been acknowledged for doing them. So I, I feel very good about being able to um, do research in my field. I feel good that you're doing the research in your field. People are doing all kinds of of research and uncovering all kinds of very interesting bits of information that that are just wonderful. They're wonderful. So I have a question. Yeah. I didn't see the record button. Yeah, but it's good. We're, we've got it going. We've got, got it going. It. Oh, oh great, yeah, great, we've great. got it going. I was looking for it on, on, on yeah. The so, so what? What we're um, you you mentioned something to me about doing a demonstration. Shall yes. we do that? A mental exercise. I'm excited about this. Right, and it was. I believe it was. Uh, let me know you, if you when you're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I think it was last week when I made a request of you. Mm-hmm. I, and I want the audience to know. This is this um, this is not set up. I just asked you to do one or two things. Mm-hmm. Can you relate to the audience what what you remember me telling you? Well, you asked you, you told me that you would like to do a mental exercise with me and that I was to think of a playing card and keep it to myself and that then you are going to tell me what that card is that I am thinking about. Well, here's what we'll do. 
um, I was hoping that I would be able to project a card in your mind at that point. Oh, okay. I said, nothing easy. I said, like, not the Joker or the Ace of Spades. So it, it's not either one of those, correct? No, it's neither one of those. Great. Okay. Um, inside this box is, is the ordinary deck of cards. Mm -hmm. But what I need you to do is when I count to three, name out loud the card that you thought of. And the card, I said, it, it probably is more exciting if the card means something to you. Okay. But did that card mean to you or something to you, or was it just a random card? Um, it, it kind of started out random, but then I realized it does mean something to me. Okay. So for the first time, name out loud, because there's one card in here that's different. Okay. So you want me to One, tell you what it is? Two, three. Name it out loud. Two of diamonds. The two of diamonds. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep this in full view. Okay. Drum roll. This is very exciting. Can you see it? Okay. Yes. Because there is one card. Yes. Let's face the other direction. Yes. Oh my gosh. The two of diamonds. Oh my gosh. Wow. I would love to ask you how you do it, but I know you're not going to share that with me. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, oh my gosh. Wow. I hope it didn't take too long. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is very impressive. Very impressive. Wow. So your audience, get, they didn't get a chance to see it, but they got a chance to yeah. hear you explain. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Wow. I am, I am blown away. I am blown <laughs> away. For the audience, Rory pulled out a, a number of cards. I could see them all the time that he was pulling them out. And there was one card that was facing the other way from uh, the card that I, well, from the other cards. It's kind of hard to describe. But anyway, it was a very impressive display and a very impressive mental exercise. And, and it was absolutely right. It was a two of diamonds. Wow. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Rory, for being with us. We're going to post some information in the show notes so that people can know how they can come and see you, how they can avail themselves of your book. Uh, I'm just so happy that people have an opportunity to get to know a little bit about you and about your research and about your, your skills as a magician. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I am, I am so honored to, uh, to, to be here, and uh, especially with the work you, you've been doing uh, for, for, for years and this, yeah. um, taking on this new venture is, is, is exciting. I can't thank wait you. to see, um, where this takes you. Well, thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you taking the time all the way from Ohio to be with us this evening. Um, we are, I'm in Florida for our listeners and Rory is in Ohio and he was 
uh, happy to, to join me. So I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you so much and thank you for your research. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rory. Singers, have you ever wanted to improve your sight reading skills? Do you want to hear harmonies better and sing them more easily? Would you like to be able to improvise and sing more styles of music? Donovan Mixon's performance ear training can help you with all of these things. Donovan has been a faculty member at Berkeley College of Music and is an expert in this field. Doesn't matter where you live, classes are offered online. Visit donmixon.com. Check out our show notes for more info. Good news. We're partnering. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is delighted to be included in the Natscast network. Natscast is the official podcast network of the National Association of Teachers of Singing. It's an honor to be part of this community and have the opportunity to provide encouragement, education, and entertainment to singers everywhere. The Business Savvy Singer Podcast is brought to you by the PrivateMusicStudio.net, Eternal Wolf Music, and Greta Pope Entertainment. Let us know if you know of a singer who is having great success in the music business. We'd love to share their story and their journey on this podcast. Send your emails to info at gretapope.com. We've had a great time with you today. See you next time on the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. The Business Savvy Singer. Singer.